like a Rolling Stone. That, that's how a lot of us have felt. That's how some of you may feel today. That's how Simon Peter felt his whole life is like a complete unknown, like a Rolling Stone, just kind of drifting through life, getting through life one day at a time until that, that fateful moment that Jesus steps on the scene in Luke chapter 5, which we saw a couple of weeks ago, and called him out of his boat and said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. He gave him a calling, and then Peter was still a rolling stone. He was just rolling in the right direction. That's what I want to do. I want to be rolling in the right direction, the direction that God wants me to be going. And, and as I'm rolling towards him, suddenly things start to make sense. Suddenly I, 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 I may still feel alone at times, but I know I am not alone because I have Christ with me. Um, last week we saw uh, the moment when Simon realize who Jesus was, that you are Christ, the Son of the living God, and then he recognized who Jesus was, and suddenly Jesus looked at, at Simon and said, you are no longer Simon, you are Peter, the rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and it's a great moment that we saw uh, Simon Peter go through, but this week, this is probably my favorite Peter story. Um, it, it is one of the ones that probably everyone knows, but you just might not really know the scripture, the context, and I believe that we're going to get some, some good insight on this great story, uh, Simon Peter, Matthew chapter 14, uh, he's been doing his uh, journey with Jesus for a while, he's just seen Jesus do some crazy things, he just saw Jesus, uh, and just a few moments before I'm going to read, uh, had a, a crowd of, of over 5,000 people, and they were hungry, and Jesus took five loaves and two fish, and they gave it up to feed this entire flock, which which was just that, that little happy meal from this young boy. And all of a sudden, Jesus tells the disciples as the crowd is, is so excited that this may be the Son of the living God. And, and in that, that moment, Jesus said, we got to go on to the other side, and i got to go up to the mountain to pray. And so uh, we're going to pick it up verse 22. It says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. He made, say he made, instructions to get in the boat, go to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd, gave the benediction, gave the altar call, and, and then the disciples were in the boat, and Jesus was not in the boat with them. And after he dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. It's so important for us to recharge our batteries. It's so important for us to, to have our alone time with God. As, as a pastor, that, that is something I've I got to make a priority, that I'm not just studying so I can feed you, but I've I got to be able to feed my own spirit. I've got to be healthy in my own spirit so I can be healthy for you guys. And Jesus uh, was doing that. He needed to get alone. And, and it says, verse 24, while he was in prayer, the boat that he sent the disciples in was already a considerable distance from land, uh, being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Suddenly, Jesus sent the disciples in this boat, sent them directly into a problem. <laughs> Crazy Jesus. Crazy. But there's a message in that. Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah the prophet, he prophesied about Jesus 500 years before he was born. And uh, he writes in Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you. Or another translation says, I will hold you with my righteous right hand. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, for your love, for your mercy, Lord, that you are a good God. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to every single one of us in this moment. Whether you're feeling like a rolling stone going the wrong direction, or you feel like you, you need a miracle from God, and you're in a storm right now, or you feel like you're following the direction of God, but you have a seemingly dark place. God is with you. We thank you for that. Walking on a word. Yeah, amen. Just off my title. It's going to be a good day. I, I was 16 years old and I had my first ever steady girlfriend. My first ever real girlfriend. 16 years old. And I thought I was in love. Anyone else here been 16 and thought they were in love? And I, I remember I, I wanted to really impress her. And, and I. I want to take her to New York for our first Valentine's Day. And uh, I didn't know any, you know, where do you go on, on a date in New York? And, and my parents said, you know what, there's somebody uh, in our church that knows a lot about New York City. You should call him. Uh, his name is Joe Rafonti. And so uh, Joe was always like a very intimidating figure for me as a child. Uh, not so much anymore, but as a child, very intimidating. And so uh, I, I got Joe Rafonti's number, 16-year-old kid, and, and, and I call up Joe and and uh, you know we're, we're doing like little pleasant things, little small talk in the beginning. I told my, my dilemma that I really want to. Do you remember this stuff? <laughs> and, and so uh, I'm, I'm talking to Joe, and I said I got a, a girlfriend, and I really want to uh, take her to a place in New York City for dinner for a Valentine's Day dinner. And uh, Joe, do you have any ideas for a 16-year-old kid here, first time in New York City? I'm, I'm going uh, uh, on a Valentine's Day date, and Joe goes, "You have to take her to Russell's." No, 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 no. Oh, I'm like, okay. So, so I, I get the you know phone book, which is uh, you know 1999, and, and so I'm looking for the number Russian Q room. I find the number for the Russian Q room uh, of, of a woman with an English accent answers the phone. Uh, Ask me, you know, what, what what do you need? I'm saying reservations for two, uh, upstairs or downstairs. I don't care. Just reservations for two. Uh, and, and then she she tells me that Tom Cruise is going to be there uh, that particular night at the Russian Q room. And uh, I, I never saw Tom Cruise. I said, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Joe, hook a brother up, my man. And, and so I, I get on the train. I, I got, got my girlfriend with me, and, and we go up to take the train. Joe tells us exactly you know, where you got to get off. We pick up the train. We get the train. We go into Manhattan. Uh, get into Manhattan. Go for Central Walk, Central Park. I take her for a walk. Uh, the uh, porch carriage ride is like $25 or something like that. I, I had brought, like, my life savings with me, uh, which was $200 at that time. And so, um, you know, buy the train ticket, you know, pay for the carriage ride, and, and now we're off to the Russian tea room. And, man, this place is nice. This place, I was like, so nice. I'm, I'm liking the Russian tea room. Very impressive, Joe. And so I, I get in the Russian tea room. They, they, I give them my name, Isaac Trudell. This is who is Joe, by the way. This is the man that I was married to. She was so impressed, and we, we, we set the post. It's Valentine's Day. It's and we set the post, and then we get brought up to the uh, our, our table. Uh, we got the first floor. Tom Cruise is on the second floor. Never saw Tom Cruise. That might have been a few games of like mine that they just threw out there. They're quite busy. But uh, it was, there was like this, this bear ice sculpture there. I mean, this place was legit. And, and then they asked us before they brought us the menu, do you want anything to drink? Uh, I said, I'll have an iced tea. So they brought me an iced tea, 16 years old. 
And then uh, I open up the menu and uh, I, I say, you know, I've got my hand. And they say, this is, this is your lucky night. We, we got a, a great deal. It's $75 a person. And I came in there with 200 bucks. And I am cursing Joe Responsi at this moment right now. <laughs> and, and this is before cell phones. So I, I couldn't call my mom and get a credit card number. And, and so but my, my, my girlfriend's like, how much money do you have? I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I bought the, you know, the plane tickets, the horse, the carriage. Like, I don't know. I, so I pull my wallet out and start counting. She's like, put your wallet away. Don't count it here. You know, she's like, go to the bathroom. So I go to the bathroom. I'm in the stall. The, the stall clerk's counting my money, you know, 145. I, I, I have I have $168. Like, why did I order that iced tea? <laughs> and so it was the most stressful meal of my life. I don't even remember. I'm sure it was amazing. And, and so we get the bill. It's $165.84. And I have $167. I still got to, you know, tip the Coke guy. I got to get a cab to go back and catch our train that's leaving in just a little while. So I, I drop my money down there, and I run out the door. Joanne, forget your coat. We're out of here. We get outside, and we realize that it, it, it's 9 o'clock. Our train leaves in 15 minutes, and, and we don't have money for a cab. And, and that's 30. So now we are running through New York City. One by, the, the, the whole time, Joe Responsi, I'm going to kill you, Joe Responsi. I'm going to kill you. And, and finally, you know, we, we get to the train, and it was the most magical night of my life. And, and I said all that, I'm, I'm so glad that I saved that story for this morning because there are so many moments when somebody sends you somewhere, Joe Responsi, you realize it's not what you expected when you got there. I opened up that menu, I said, Joe Responsi, you better give me a nice birthday present. It's in a couple weeks. And, and bless me, did they still have the lucky two weeks? We put it out of business after that, but... And so, what do you do when you follow the direction of somebody you trust? God, Jesus, and it puts you in a situation that you never expected that you would be in. And so, Jesus says, get in the boat, go to the other side, I'll meet you over there. They get in the boat, they're obedient, and they go to the other side, and in the process, all of a sudden, a hellacious storm, cat storm, breaks out on the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden, they're in a panic mode. All of a sudden, they're realizing that this might not end well for them, and Jesus isn't even in the boat with them. Jesus left them on their own in this moment. See, there are some storms that you create because you're stupid, and you're selfish, and you do dumb stuff. And a lot of you, you're in a storm because of what you have done. But there's also moments when you are in turbulent times. And it is not because of your disobedience. It is because God sent you somewhere and you are questioning whether or not you are in the will of God. Just because you're in a storm and you're in turbulent times does not mean that you have missed God or somehow are outside of the will of God. You may just be exactly where God wants you to be in that moment. And that is what the disciples are experiencing right here. It, it says that they're, they're rowing. Um, I, I love this. This is hysterical. Um, if, if you're a runner, you're going to feel the pain. It says, when they were rowing, Mark chapter 6, verse 48, 
Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Anyone ever felt like the wind was against you? Like your, your whole life, you just felt like the wind was against you. Like you were born with the wind against you. I, I mean, ever, ever since like I walked five miles uphill to school and I walked five miles uphill back home. And maybe it was like one moment that you remember when, when the wind changed on you. And a lot of people, it comes down to one moment in their life when they can remember that all of a sudden that the wind changed in my life. I used to be so full of joy, but after my parents separated, suddenly that joy left me and that the wind was against me. Some of you, it might have been since your, your whole life you've just lived in dysfunction in your, in your family. You've lived in dysfunction. You've lived in poverty. You always felt like you were a, a, a dollar short. You always felt like you were always a month behind. And it, it's just like every step I take, I feel like the winds are against me. I have to try harder than other people and, and other people succeed. But for me, every single time I'm straining and I'm trying, it's just like it's never enough because the winds are against me. And, and, and it's such a depressing place to be. And sometimes what we do in those moments is we feel like if I try harder, I could prove myself or, or I could do better or, or maybe I could overcompensate for, for, for the, 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 the deck of cards that I was given and somehow overcome this wind. And maybe you get so fatigued trying to overcompensate and maybe you just throw your arms up and say, I can't do this. Just let me be drifted away wherever the wind takes me. And I, I, I find it interesting because as as someone who, who ran a little bit this year, one of the most discouraging things is when you start running and you realize that the wind is against you as you're running. It's demoralizing. It's actually kind of depressing when you start running, and which is hard enough. Like, living is hard enough, isn't it? Just being a human being is hard enough, not to mention when the wind is against you. And, and I, I found it so difficult for me when the wind was against me because I would try so hard. I, I, would, I would think if I, could, if I could run harder, then somehow I could be able to hit my time or I'd be able to get to the finish line and, and the, 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 the time that I wanted to hit the finish line. And then I realized that by doing that, I get more worn out and tired than ever. And I, I found this is interesting. Five tips from Running World Magazine. What to do when the wind is against you. This is what it says. A common instinct in the wind is to tense up and hunch over. You talk about battling a headwind, some runners literally take that seriously, tensing themselves against every single gust. Tensing will only fatigue your muscles, burn out energy, and encourage a stressful mindset. Instead, relax your muscles and your mind, and when you encounter a headwind, take a deep breath, exhale, roll your shoulders down and back, straighten your posture, and release tension. Avoid clenching your hands and jaw. Focus on a smooth, relaxed stride. These will help you maintain your normal form and keep your muscles relaxed. A relaxed body and mind are primed to run well, even when the worst continues. I love Runner's World magazine because there is such a truth in that when we are going against the wind in life because so often our mentality is, i gotta, I got to work harder, i got to try harder, overcompensate for, for what I'm facing, and, and you put all the pressure on yourself, and, and you, you suddenly get so fatigued and so burned out because you're trying so hard to overcome all the disadvantages that you were given, and, 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 and all of a sudden you get so fatigued and then you become a victim because now you've done all you could and you're still behind the eight ball, and now you feel like it's everybody else. 
is false because you are trying to drive through the headwinds. I wrote this down. I thought this was pretty good. Deliverance comes not through striving, but through surrendering. Embracing His will and not enforcing my will. And you have to realize that there are moments when, yes, you have to press forward. Yes, you have to try. Yes, you have to go forward. You have to row, but you have to realize that this does not come in my own strength, but when the wind is against me, that is when I have to have the, the, the third person in my life. That's when I got to have the, the, the third string cord to come and strengthen me and help me get through and overcompensate my weaknesses in those moments because this is what happens. When you're so focused on, on how you can do it and i got to work harder and i got to do better, then you miss verse 49. Because verse 49 says that shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And he was about to pass them by. That is so crazy. Because I always thought that in this passage, that the reason Jesus was on the lake was to go find the disciples, right? <laughs> what was Jesus doing walking on the water? Calisthenics? Was that the original uh, you know, paddle boarding. And, and it says that he would have passed them right by. One version, I thought that might have been a bad version. Another version said that he intended to pass them by. And see, what happens is if you're so focused on what you have to do, and i got to prove myself, and, and i got to prove others wrong, you're going to miss Jesus walking by. Because this is what I found out about Jesus. This is what I found out about God. Is that uh, God, Jesus, it, it, it's a motion-sensitive God that we serve. You ever go to the bathroom? Do they have them downstairs? They do? So you stick your hands under, right? And, and, and you got, it, it needs movement, right? In order for the water to flow. And, and I thought, you know what? That's how, that's how our God is. That there are moments in my life where He's the motion-sensitive God that, that if you just sit, sit there and, and you don't give God anything and you don't give God any of your energy and you don't give God any honor and you don't give God any glory, then you know what? He's going to just pass you right by. How many times have you been so focused on what you can do in your own strength and striving and straining that you miss your deliverance walking right by you because Jesus didn't come in a way that you expected Him to come? And he came walking right by, and, and you, you, you needed a deliverance, and you needed help, and yet he walked right by you, and he's a motion-sensitive God. You know what you're going to put get out of this deliverance today? Whatever you put in it. If I had a box here, you know, you know what would be in that box? Whatever I put in it. And, and if you don't put anything in it, you're not going to get anything out of it. I've said it before. I can tell just by the way somebody is sitting and looking at me whether or not God is going to pass them by in a service. Because if you make up your mind that, that why am I here and, and somebody bribed me to be here or, or I hope God sees that I, I had to pay $4 to park this morning. I hope you guys see. You know what? You're not going to get anything out of this service. But if you come in here with an attitude of gratitude that I am so thankful that I get to worship this awesome God and even though I'm in a storm and even though I'm straining and the wind is against me, I'm so thankful that I have breath in me. Then you know what? When you move, He moves. When you move, God will show up in your life. But if you just sit there like, 
know what, guys? You're sitting there like, you are so ungrateful. I'm going to go hang out with somebody else. Jesus doesn't hang out with ungrateful people.
to say, give me a command to do something outside of my comfort zone. Give me a command to do something that I'm not capable of doing on my own. Give me a word. Give me a command. I love Peter. Peter is a man of faith. Peter did some dumb stuff, but in this moment, Peter is shining so bright like a diamond because he's saying, God, I don't want you to just, just give me a sign, give me a command. And this is what Jesus says. He says, come. All right. One word. That's all it took for Peter to step out of the boat is just one word. And he wasn't even sure if that was Jesus. See, so many of you, you need a guarantee from God before you move. I need a guarantee. I need to know 100% for sure that that was God speaking. And you know what? You're going to stay in the boat the rest of your life. I could preach a sermon one time called Moving on a Maybe. Because you will never know for sure if it's God unless you step out. Because this is it. You've you, you got to step out so he will show up. You've you got to step out. And that's the only way you're going to ever know. And, and there are moments when you're, you're not going to be for sure. And you know what? That's okay. You, you're never going to be. That's why it takes faith. If you feel like i got to have all the doubts out of my mind before I can step out of this boat, then you're going to be in that boat the rest of your life. You're never going to be able to experience the things that God created you to experience in this life. Just give me one word, God. Give. Forgive. Step out. Be grateful. And then what happens is to Peter, he steps out, and he's, he's walking on a word. I love this. One word. Can you walk on one word from God? Just give me one word, God. Peter starts walking on that one word. And then all of a sudden, what God says gets superseded by how he feels. Because all of a sudden, he feels the wind. All of a sudden, he sees the waves. And all of a sudden, he, he, he's stepping out in the word. Maybe that word for somebody is forgive. And, and I'm stepping out on that word, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm forgiving, but, but it doesn't feel so good because they're not grateful, and they're not giving me the response that I expected. And all of a sudden, I feel the wind and the waves, and I'm not focused on what Jesus said. Now I'm focused on how I feel and how they responded to what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, you begin to sink into bitterness because you're not focused on the word that God has given you. You need to focus on the word that God has given you, not how you feel. If you just live every single day based on your feelings, i got to live my own truth, i gotta, I, I got to do what I feel, then you know what? You're going to live such a scattered, unfruitful life. And I know that that's like a big word nowadays. Everyone says, just do what you feel, live your own truth. But you know what? That, that is a, a schizophrenic way to live. My, I would not be up here this morning doing what God has called me to do if I lived my life based on my feelings. I wouldn't be happily married if I lived my whole life based off of my feelings. Because there are a lot of times I don't feel like being happily married right now. I don't feel like going home and playing with my kids. I don't feel like watching Indian in the cupboard for two hours last night when I'm tired of it. So I don't feel like it, but it's the moment that I don't feel it. But you know what? I'm going to do it because this is who God called me to be. And i got to walk on that word. And so, and so Peter's walking on a word. Come. Preaching up here. Hope you're getting this. And then all of a sudden... He gets distracted and starts to fall, starts to fade. He's doing what God told him to do, but he's failing, and he's wasting his time. 
some people may say that's the problem with everything in life. I want to be one of those boat people with an iPhone recording people. So I put it on Instagram and get a thousand likes. Some do sinking on the water. He was in the boat. Now, I'm, I'm thankful for Matthew, right? Thank you, Matthew. I, I get to read your, you know, your, your, your Instagram videos, you know, of, of what happens. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather be walking than writing. I, I'd rather be the one that, that is bold enough in faith to step out on the water and experience my miracle, even though in my failings I, I slip and fall because it is only in my failings that I experience the grace of God. And so that, that's, what, that's what Matthew was seeing, and, and I, I thought about why and how did Peter have so much faith? Because it's impossible for any of us guys to walk on water. Like, you, you fasted and prayed for, for 40 days and 40 nights, and you stepped on that pool, and you sunk like a rock. You are the rock. I, I mean, it, it, Peter knows this. And this is what I, I, I believe. Suffer and, and immediately it says, 
that when he began to sing, that Jesus reached out his hand and lifted him up. And, and this story is not about Peter's faith. This story is not about Peter's failure. This story is not about a, a, a man who, who had great faith to step out of the boat, but then he had little faith and began to sink. It's not a, at all about that. What this story is about, it is not about great faith or little faith. It is about the great grace of Jesus. It is about the great mercy of Jesus, that even when you fall and you fail and you sink, that there is a greater grace, greater than your failure, greater than your dysfunction, greater than the fact that the wind has been against you your entire life, greater than the opinion of other people in the boat with their iPhones taking pictures of you fail, talking smack about you and gossiping about your failures because they're too scared to ever step out of their own boat. It's greater than all of that. It is about the great grace of Jesus Christ that as I am slipping and falling, His grace is always there to lift me up above and out of my sin and my shame and my failures. It's about great grace. I'm sorry I'm yelling. I'm just so thankful for great grace. I'm sorry I get emotional, but I'm just so thankful that when I was sinking, that the love of Jesus lifted me out of the sea of sin that I was in and put me back in the boat. And then I love it when Jesus lifts him up. This is what He says. Peter, you have such little faith. And then Peter says this, why, Rick, did you doubt? What is that what it says up there behind me? Why? They're on. I paid them good money to get them slides ready. Why do you doubt? I mean, that's kind of a dumb thing, God. Why do I doubt? I'm trying to walk on water here. I'm in the middle of a storm. The fact I have to yell and communicate to you because it's loud out here on the open sea in the middle of a Cat 4 hurricane. And why do I doubt? I mean, any, any of you ever in emotion ask God that? Why do I doubt? Did you see that email I just got? Do you see my kids? They're pagans. Like, do you see what I'm going through? Do you see my struggles? Why do I doubt? Look at what I'm going through in my life, but the assurance that Jesus gives us in Hebrews chapter 6 is that He is an anchor for our soul. And a lot of times the reason we doubt is because that anchor for our soul does its best work where nobody can see it. Underneath the surface, you can see what's going on around you, but a lot of times you doubt the anchor that Jesus has placed within you. And you need to have confidence in that, that no matter what is happening around me, I have an anchor for my soul. And Jesus takes him, takes him back on the boat, and, and it says, immediately, the wind begins to stop. Immediately. See, immediately when Jesus saw him, he didn't turn off the wind and the waves because God doesn't want us living in that sea. Because if he did, we would only turn to him when we needed something. Most of you, and I want to say most of you, some of you, that's the only time you ever turn to God. And that's why you have no relationship with him. Because a relationship, I have a relationship with my wife, Sherry Stone, and, and with great Jesus. I have a relationship with, with her during any season of our life.
Christ, and God says, I want to have an even greater relationship with you. Not just when you need something and want something, but every morning. I want you to thank me for the blessings. I want you to know that I'm your tag team partner in this. And, and even when you go through a storm, I'm with you in the storm. And I'll walk out to you on the water, and, and, and I hear your cries. God, God hears your cries, God. The, the, the cries and the prayers that you're praying that you think nobody else hears. I want you to know that not one teardrop goes past the eyes of you. He sees your pain. Your cries, and he's with you in the storm, even though you can't see him. And, and I, so often, and I'll finish preaching right now, uh, we sing a song that we, we talk about. I got to hold on to Jesus. Anyone ever heard that song? Hold on to Jesus, right? And we pray, God, I, I pray I just hold on to you. Got to hold on to Jesus, and that's what that's what our whole focus is on. I got to hold on to Jesus, and then inevitably, what happens? never loses their promise. And you think maybe the only people that can really hold on to Jesus is, is, the, is the pastor. I think by now you know that I've lost my grip from time to time as well. Or, or maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, the, the religious elite in, in Italy. Maybe those are the only ones that can really hold on to Jesus. And, and, but not me. Not me. I'm down here. I, 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 I'm driving to work at 6 a.m. and, and I'm, I'm not important. I, and and I, I got bad language and I got bad thoughts and, and I, I, sometimes I hold on to Jesus, but inevitably I, I fall back. And, and this is what I want to ask you this morning: Who is holding on to who? Who's holding on to who? Because the truth is that He's the one that's holding on to you. That even when you lose your grip of Him. He's the one that is holding on to you. This is what Isaiah says, Isaiah chapter 41. It says, I read in the very beginning of the service, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And I will strengthen you and help you. And I will hold you with my righteous right arm. He'll hold on to you when you fall, even when you feel like Jesus. I've lost my grip, of course. In the Old Testament, I, I told you this, there was this, this man by the name of David. And David was, he was a guy just like you and me. He had issues. He had struggles. I mean, he had days when he was so close to God, and then he had moments where his chest faltered because he just felt like he couldn't do it. David was a king. Bible says David was committed adultery. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a worshiper, and he was also a murderer. And David, in this beautiful passage of Scripture, Psalm 51, he says these words that touch my heart every time I read them. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, overwhelmed heart is with you. That when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That when your soul is overwhelmed and you are sinking, that is the moment that you you need to cry out. I can't do this on my own. I can't swim any longer. This this riptide is pulling me under. Lead me to the rock that is 
than I am. There is only one that is higher. There is only one that is greater. And he is the God of the universe. He is the God that sent his only son, his perfect son, to die on a cross for you that you didn't deserve. He took the judgment. He took the wrath that was meant for you and put it on his back. He is the one who is higher than you. He's more loving than you. He's more forgiving than you. He's more glorious than you. And in your moments of pain and proclivity, you need to reach out and say, lead me to that rock. Thank you for who you are, Lord God. We thank you that you are an ever-present help in our time of trouble. I pray right now for anyone who has an overwhelmed heart. Anyone who, maybe you did step out in faith and now you feel like you're sinking just like Peter does. You've got your eyes off Jesus and forgot that word that he spoke over your life and you've been so distracted by the wind and the waves and life, life, is, life has a way of overwhelming us. God, I pray in those moments that we'll be able to whether it's the tears in our eyes or the passion or in our quiet place, be able to cry out, Lord, save me. I lost my grip. And in that moment, we see the story that His grace is greater. His grip is greater. At the end of yourself, you see the grip of Him. Of your strength is the beginning of His. Lord, I pray for those hearts that are overwhelmed right now. That you are the one who can speak to the wind and the waves in our soul and say, Peace, be still. I speak that over those hearts this morning. Peace, come in those hearts right now. That they can have the assurance, that they have a steadfast and secure anchor to their soul. And even when they're drifting, they are anchored to you, Lord God. That you are going to get them through this storm. Every storm has a beginning and every storm has an end. It's not going to last forever. You're going to get through this. And God's going to grow you through this. Going to train you as he grows you in his people. And you're going to be stronger, and you're going to have a testimony that is going to shake the gates of hell. Father, I pray that you will sustain us this morning, that our cry will be lead us to the rock that is higher than us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give the Lord. Clap if you would this morning.